Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, we are excited that one of our own cross-pointers, a man who needs no introduction, a man who's hard to miss, uh, Dr. Reverend George Prince is here, and uh, he's going to give us the word this morning. I think George needs a cross-point welcome, though, as he comes, because he, he loves this. Now that I'm thoroughly embarrassed, but well, good morning. Are we there yet? You want me to clean my room? That's going to take forever. How many more sleeps till my birthday? I can't wait for school to be finished and summer holidays to start. Does this sound like anyone in your family? What's this all about? It's about time. When you're young, time goes so slow. When you get to be a teenager and into your 20s, time starts to crawl. And when you're in your 30s, time walks. And when you're in your 40s and 50s, it runs and when you get to be my age, with more gray hair than black, it grows wings and it starts to fly. <laughs> and then, then instead of saying, are we there yet? You'll say, I can't believe I'm here already. Seems like only yesterday I was 18. And then when you're really old, you don't say, clean my room. You're just happy to find your room. <laughs> and instead of, how many more sleeps till my birthday? Didn't I just have my birthday? Could, could you imagine, kids, what it would be like if we didn't have time? Be great, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to go to school because you wouldn't know when to go. Bedtime would be a thing of the past. And I can just hear all the parents saying, yippee. <laughs> of course, there are some disadvantages too. You would never have a birthday party again or Christmas because you wouldn't know when it is. Hmm, maybe not such a good idea after all. Perspective on time from the young and from the old. Opposites, right? Does the Bible have anything to say about time? Probably one of the most famous passages as it relates to time in the Bible is found in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 11. Let me read it for you. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is a Hebrew poem written almost 3,000 years ago. It was probably written by King Solomon. King Solomon was the king of Israel after his father, King David. One night God appeared to Solomon and he said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead, lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you and ever had, and none after you will have. His wisdom was apparent to all throughout the ancient world. The queen of Sheba, Sheba or Ethiopia said of him, the report I heard in my own country about your words and wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. Your wisdom and prosperity have far exceeded the report I heard. The poem consists of 14 contrasting activities. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to harvest, and so on. They're almost like bookends. They describe life in the ancient world, and they describe much of our life as well. We're all born. We all die. Some of us, not all of us, though, have experienced war, but we've all experienced peace. Every spring we plant, or farmers plant, and in the fall they harvest. We keep things and we throw things away. Sometimes we're silent. Sometimes we speak up. We look for things and sometimes we give up looking. It describes life, the constraints of life, things that we know are true, both good and bad. This passage of Scripture is one of the most universally accepted. It's acknowledged by people of faith and atheists alike. Most everyone reads it and says, yeah, that's true. It's a fair representation of life within the constraints of humanity. Truly wise man, this King Solomon. Here we are 3,000 years later, and we still acknowledge its truth. Last year, Professor Stephen Hawking, he passed away. He was regarded by many 
to be the most intelligent person of our time. Stephen Hawking had a rare form of ALS and was constrained to a wheelchair for most of his life. He was a remarkable man who could no longer speak, but communicated with a special speech generating device. From what we know, Stephen Hawking was an atheist. But this passage of scripture was read at his funeral service as an acknowledgement of truth about life. Authored 3,000 years ago by the king whom God said was the wisest and now acknowledged at the funeral of a man whom the world said was the most intelligent. Does God's word endure? Does it stand the test of time? I have a question for you. Do you think that Jesus would have clicked the like button after reading this passage? King Solomon, he wrote it, but it seems that he had some problems with it as well. He says in verse 9 and 10, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. King Solomon is in essence saying, each one of these things, each one of these activities cancels the other one out. And what's left in the end? It's troubling. And do you know why? It's because of verse 11. It says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Solomon is in essence saying, is that it? Is that all there is to life? You're born, you die. Is that it? For almost a thousand years, these questions, they hung in the balance. This, this poem speaks of dying and stands in direct opposition to the idea of eternity or the desire of eternal life being put into our hearts. It's what separates us from all other creatures that God has made. In the Garden of Eden, through sin, we lost our intimate relationship with God. We were created in His image, which among many other things was to live forever. That desire to live forever was not lost when God expelled us from the Garden of Eden. The poem may acknowledge truth about our life, but it doesn't sit well with us either. Ever since the fall, humanity has been trying to find its way back to Eden. Humanity has sought eternal life through various means on its terms to escape the reality of the poem and without success. I couldn't help but think of someone like Ponce de Leon who traveled to the New World, North America in the early 1500s searching for the fountain of youth. Hearing rumors and legends about a magical spring of water that if you drank from it would give you eternal youth. The great irony was that the spring of eternal life was right there in front of him all the time. Just ask the woman Jesus spoke to at the well. Ponce de Leon, he died. His search for eternal youth, eternal life on his terms, amounted to trying to save himself. Are you trying to save yourself? Thinking that if your, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, kind of, a, kind of a divine balance, that Jesus has to accept you? The Bible tells us there is none that is good, no, not one. And since we are on the subject of time, let me tell you that trying to save yourself is a complete waste of time. But back to the question. 
Do you think Jesus liked the poem, its realities? What the poem needs is a redeemer and not someone subject to time. In the Garden of Eden, we exchange that part of us which is eternal for the knowledge of good and evil, trying to fill the eternal size hole in our hearts with the things that are bound by time with an expiry date is impossible. There is but one redeemer for the poem and its effect on humanity, and his name is Jesus, the Savior of the world. The Bible, it tells us in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, subject to the time, subject to the poem, that is. The world is looking for a what to redeem them, but we look for a who. He came to render heaven's perspective, eternity's perspective on the poem. He came to answer the thousand-year-old, is that it? Questions of Solomon. A time to be born and a time to die? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, how can that be? With God, all things are possible. Haven't you read the poem, Jesus? He has, and that's why he's come. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. Jesus said, a sower went out to sow his seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that he might reap a harvest of souls to eternal life. A time to tear down and a time to build. He took a wrecking ball to the gates of hell. He tore the bars away to set the captives free so that he could build an extension of his father's mansion in your heart and take up residence in you forever. That's how the desire for eternity in your heart is satisfied. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He mourned and wept over Jerusalem. He wept in the garden of Gethsemane. He asked his father if the cup could be removed, but he saw you and me filled with joy, laughing and dancing before his father's throne, and he went to the cross. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. The only stone that ever mattered was scattered, rolled away, cast aside from the entrance of his tomb early on that Easter morning. And to all who believe, he's gathering up all the gravestones of history, putting them on a heap. And there he says, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? A time to be silent and a time to speak. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears, he is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And why? So that he might be able to confess your name before his father. A time to love and a time to hate. He taught us the meaning of sacrificial love when he said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. He even taught us how to hate. Hate that which is evil and cling tightly to that which is good. A time for war and a time for peace. On the cross, Jesus Christ went to war to put an end to the hostility that we created between heaven and earth in the Garden of Eden when we sinned. And when the war was over, when the sins of all were visited on him, the wrath of his Father poured out on, on him for us. He cried aloud, it is finished. And with that, he gave us the peace that passes all understanding. 
That's what Jesus not only thought of the poem, but it's what he did with the poem. That's our Redeemer. That's my Savior and your Savior. He's the source of eternal life, the satisfaction for eternity in your heart. And in an instant, you can transition from the constraints of time on this earth to heaven's time. Jesus, in John 17, verse 3, part of his high priestly prayer, he said this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not some future event. You can have it here and now by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, your Lord and Savior. Sure, its fullness is yet to come, and we'll need to walk through the valley of the shadow of death to enter his presence, but you can transition to heaven's time right now. The poem starts with birth, and it ends with peace. That's Christmas that we just celebrated. From Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, speaking about Jesus. The angels put a bookend on the poem the night he was born when they sang, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's Christmas. That's Jesus, who has the whole poem, all of life, in his hand, from birth to peace. This passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes is appropriate for this last Sunday of the year as it represents yet another set of bookends. Time to start 2019 and a time to end 2019. And now, Lord willing, we are on the threshold of a new year, 2020, and it will come with all of our New Year's resolutions. Let me leave you with something to ponder from an old hymn, something that you might include in your New Year's resolutions. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. What is eternal life? What will satisfy eternity in your heart? It's knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. How do you get to know him better? By feeding on his word and spending time with him in prayer. That's how you get to know Jesus. Come to him. He's got all the time in eternity for you. And who knows what 2020 will bring? Will the trumpet of the Lord sound and time shall be no more? Only the Father knows for sure. Look up, for your redemption is drawing near. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for filling the eternal void in our lives. Thank you for redeeming this poem, our lives, and taking up residence in our hearts through your Spirit. And Lord, for those this morning that have been searching for eternity, will you draw them to yourself, for only you can satisfy the hungry soul. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be gathered on eternity's shore, where death is just a memory, and tears and time are no more. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. 
We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.